the Lord will do amazing things among you. The Lord will do amazing things among you. The Lord will do amazing things among you. That, that is what Joshua said to the people of Israel. And when he said that to the people of Israel, it is important to note who the people of Israel were and what they had just gone through. For 40 years they'd been wandering. And this crew of Israelites, they had grown up listening to their parents talk about how God did 10 plagues to get them out of slavery in Egypt. When they thought there was no way out, they were being chased down by those Egyptians and their back was up against the Red Sea and there was no way out. God split the Red Sea. They walked through it on dry ground. Those kids grew up seeing at night a pillar of fire that they could follow. In the day, they saw a pillar of smoke that they would follow. They saw Moses, their leader, when they got thirsty, would smack a rock or would speak to a rock and water would flow out of this rock. This is what was normal for these kids as they grew up. They saw manna from heaven just appear every day and that's how they got to eat. They saw quail every day when they got to eat. They saw all of these things. This was normal to them. And then Joshua comes and says, basically, you ain't seen nothing yet. The Lord will do amazing things among you. And when I said that, you clapped as if you had a little bit of faith that God was going to do amazing things among you. That what God initially said to those Israelite people who had experienced some amazing things already in their life, that you thought that maybe God would be doing that among you as well, and I couldn't agree more. You are a people that just like those Israelites, you have experienced some pretty amazing things. God has used this church in amazing ways. We're about to go out and go see the the care center grand reopening and see all the ways God has been loving on people in this community over the last years. I mean, that is amazing to me. We got to go through celebration of hope. And I got to be honest, I mean, that was my first celebration of hope. And I saw video after video after statistic after statistic. And I was just kind of saying, Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of this. I didn't build it. God built it through you. God built it through you. He's done some amazing things. And now I just get to come and be a part of what God is doing. I am so grateful. I am so privileged. I'm so honored to join into what God is doing. He's looking at this church who has had an impact all around the world. Like that's been normal for you. And yet you clapped as if you still believe that the Lord will do amazing things among you. That that you seem to think God is not done with this church yet. That you believe that God is still on the throne, that the Holy Spirit is still moving in power, that Jesus is still worth following. That you are people that would say, yes, I know God said it initially to Joshua, but we claim that for ourselves, that the Lord will do amazing things among us. So let me ask you, Willow, what are you imagining right now when you clap for that? 
What kinds of things do you imagine for your church when you begin to have faith that God will do amazing things among you? What kinds of things do you have imagined for your family when you think God will do amazing things among us? What kinds of things do you imagine for your life when you clap for God will do amazing things among us? We started a series last week called Courage Calling because it takes courage to follow God's call. In fact, if it, if it doesn't take courage to follow God's call in your life, I don't think it's quite God's call on your life. I mean, if you could accomplish God's will for your life without just being on your knees, without begging God for courage, without stepping out of comfort zones, without chasing God in an amazing way. Man, if you can do that, then I'm not quite sure that's God's call on your life. It's not God-sized. And so we watched last week as God called Joshua into something that, man, was big for him. Said seven, I think it was seven times, be strong and courageous because you're going to have to be strong to follow me. You're going to have to be courageous to step into what I'm calling you to. And you came back this week. You came back this week to discover, man, what are some of the amazing things that God has for us? And how will we pursue those things. I'm in Joshua 3. Verse 5 is where he says, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Let me back up to verse 1, because in there it says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Now, what you need to understand about Shittim is that it is technically already in the promised land. It is a part of the description that God gives in the promised land. So they are in the promised land but they have not crossed the Jordan where the majority of the promised land is and where the good land is. This area, Shatim, it's kind of arid, it's kind of dry. Now, now believe me, believe me, it's not slavery in Egypt. And, and it, it's not the wilderness sitting camped out here, you know, right by the river. It, it's not where we were, but it's just not quite where we want to be. And that's the land of Shittim. It's this strange land in between where you're not quite, you're not quite uh, met your destiny yet, but you're, you're beyond where you were. It's that awkward, uncomfortable, temporary place that God calls us to be faithful while we're waiting for our promise. I think everybody in here at some point or another experiences that land of Shatim, this, this sort of land in between. It's, it's, the, it's the family that says, hey, you know what? After, after years, we're going to get our finances under control. We're going to cut up these credit cards, okay? And we're going to go to Good Sense or Financial Peace, or we're going to start doing some of these things. We're going to put, God, put God's money under God's management principles, and that's what we're going to do. And, and there's this moment where you go, you know what? I'm excited. We're, we're, we're jumping into this, and we're not quite where we were without hope or without, without excitement. But we're not quite where we need to go because we haven't yet gotten through that debt or we haven't yet experienced that financial freedom. We're not quite where we want to be. It's that person that says, you know what? Uh, it's taken a lot to come to the, the table in the boardroom and sign this deal, whatever the deal is. It, it's taken a lot to get us here. So we're not quite where we were. 
But today we'll sign the deal, and it's still going to take years before we see the return that we want to see, before we see the fruit that we want to see. So we're not where we were, but we're not quite where we want to be yet. It's the college student. (laughs) It's the college student that just graduated, doesn't yet have their career job, and so they're working at Target and living in their parents' basement. Anybody? Right? It's that land in between. And it's not a bad place to be. It's just a very interesting place to be. And that's where they are. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and they went to Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Of course they would camp before crossing over. They can't, they can't cross the Jordan right now. Verse 15 shows us that this is the, uh, the Jordan at flood stage. This is the Jordan that is now 100 feet wide because it's flooding. It's 50 times wider. It's 100 times scarier than normal. The water is flowing at about 40 miles an hour down the river. And so they get to the river and they go, we got to stop. Look at that. In fact, I wonder if people started going, are we even headed the right direction? Or or, uh, is this the right time for this, Joshua? Like, you're about to lead us into something that just, look, this is not right. In fact, I wonder if Joshua is even looking up at God and going, God, do you even know how to run the universe right now? Like, this is not the right time. Have you ever had a time like that in your life? Where you've sort of paused, knowing what God is calling you to do, and just going, God... Are you sure you have the timing right on this? God, if th- this looks like a horrible situation you're calling me into. Are, are you sure that this is right? God, if I were running the universe, I don't know that I would run it the way you're running it right now in this specific instance. Um, Wayne Smith was the pastor at Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. We were down there for a little while. And Wayne Smith, um, he grew a megachurch before anybody knew the, the name, the term megachurch. And he was just this well-beloved guy down there, pastor down there. And a doctor came and said, uh, Wayne, you've got some issues with your heart. We're going to have to take you in and get um, the, the catheterization of your heart, and it will determine whether or not we can solve your issues with medication or whether or not we'll have to do bypass surgery. He went in to have the catheterization done, and 52 people from his church showed up in the little hospital chapel there at St. Joseph, and they prayed, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, please, this can't be. We don't want our pastor to to have to get bypass surgery. Please let it come back that he can just do medication. Well, sure enough, it came back that the doctor said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to get bypass surgery. And everybody was so disappointed in how God was running the universe. On the day of the surgery, they opened Wayne up and they discovered that his pericardium, which is the sac that holds your heart, his had a birth defect, a hole in it, and his heart was literally slipping through the hole as he got older and older and older. This is a rare disease, a rare condition. Only 363 people have been diagnosed with this condition, and all of them post-mortem. This was a death sentence, except for the fact that because he had to get bypass surgery and they had to open him up, they found it. And that saved his life. Folks, if you're in this room and you've ever seen God show up, 
you've ever seen God show up at just the right time, if you've ever seen God show up and turn something around that you didn't think could be turned around, if you've ever seen God's wisdom be greater than your wisdom, if you've ever seen God's faithfulness be amazing to you, would you just clap as a way to praise God and encourage the people around you? Man, we need that. I, I, I need to be able to lean on your faith and you lean on my faith and, and we see that God's timing can be amazing. Well, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, three, uh, verse 3, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Le- Le- Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it, and then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance, look at this, keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark, and do not go near it. Now, if you want to see God do amazing things among you, put God First, put God first. The Ark of the Covenant, this is where they put the golden uh, container of manna. This is where they put Aaron's uh, miraculous staff. This is where they put the, the tablets of the, of the Ten Commandments. And this is where they really believe God dwelled among them. It's like with the covenant, with the Ark of the Covenant. And so Joshua is saying, I want, you, I want them to go first. I want all the priests to go first. And and then here's the thing. I want all of us to hang back 2,000 cubits. 2,000 cubits is about 10,000 yards. So about 10 football fields. Did I get my math right? 1,000 yards, 10 football fields, okay? I was told there'd be no math today, okay? (laughs) 10 football fields. They send out the priests, the religious leaders. Now stop right there and tell me if you were planning an invasion of a foreign land, would you send the religious leaders as your Green Beret strike force? See, here's the thing. I've been around religious leaders. We're not the toughest, okay? I mean, we can kill a plate of wings maybe, but that's about it. And there you're going to send the religious leaders first, especially when later on we learn that there's a group of men called the, the Mighty Men of Valor. Those are the people I would put first. But God was trying to show Joshua something And show the Israelite people something. That when you put God first, God can do amazing things among you. So what does putting God first look like in your life? I want to see God do amazing things in your marriages. So what does it mean to put God first? I don't know. Um, When I'll teach on marriage, I'll talk about a triangle. Where the guy and the girl are at the base of the triangle and God is at the top. And if you'll just work really hard to try and get closer to God as individuals, inevitably you'll find that you're getting closer to each other. Just put God first in your marriage. What does it mean to put God first? For me, I want to put God first uh, by saying, you know what? He's, He's going to have the first hour of every day, the first day of every week. He's going to get the first check of every month, and he's going to get first consideration in all my decisions. Can I break that down? He's going to get the first hour of every day. It might not be an hour. It might be 15 minutes. But in the first hour of my day, I'm going to open up Scripture. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God, Lord, this is your day. Do with it what you will, because I'm putting you first. The first day of every week, I'm going to gather with brothers and sisters who can clap and show me that God has been faithful in their life, because I need to remember that. I need to be encouraged. I need to remember how big God is so that when I go out into my week, I can put him First, not just on Sunday, but during the rest of the week. I need to put him first 
in my finances. He gets the first check of every month because my finances, I'm so tempted to put my faith in them, to, put my, to get my meaning from them, to, to get my security from my money. And so I'm gonna give it to God first as a way to say, God, I don't want you to have the leftovers in my life. I want you to be first in every area of my life. And he's gonna get the first consideration in every decision. We talked about that last week. In every decision I make, I want to say, hey, what does the Bible say about this? What do trusted people in my circle, in my church circle say about this? I want to give God first place in every consideration. And I believe that those are some ways that I can put God first. Verse 5 gives us another way to put God first. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate. Set yourselves Apart, They would have uh, done ceremonial washing as a way to clean off sin, to purify themselves. That's what consecrating yourself would have meant back then. And I think to myself, are there areas of my life that I am not giving over to God? If there are areas of my life that I'm in rebellion or some sin in my life that I want to... I want to consecrate myself. I just, here's the thing. I just don't think God is going to do amazing things in my life if I'm, you know, punching babies and stealing money and doing all those kinds of things. And so God, how can I, how can I take the things in my life that dishonor you and, and, and get them out of my life? And how can I take the things that honor you and, and, and incorporate them into my life? And he says, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it up. Wait, right then? He didn't didn't even share with them the rest of the plan. So so take up, and, and, and they went ahead. So they took it up and went ahead of them. In other words, they already started. The flood stage, 40 miles an hour, 100 feet across, and yet they have now taken up the Ark and they are marching toward the river and no one has told them how this is going to play out that's very important there is walking before there is understanding hold on to that we read verse 7 and the lord said to joshua today i'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all israel so that they'll know that i'm with you as i was with moses tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant when you reach the edge of the jordan's waters you go and you stand in the river And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord, your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Flyakites, the Pickaphites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Thank you. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, uh, verse 13. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Okay, so they're already walking, and now he tells them how it's going to play out. If you want to see God do amazing things in your life, you put God first. And number two, you take step number one even before God tells you step number two. Does that make sense? You do step number one. If he gives you a clear step, then you take it even if you don't know how step number two is going to play out. Do we have any millennials in the room? Any millennials in the room? Just raise your hand. Don't be shy. Put them up. We already took the offering. You don't have to worry, okay? 
millennials in the room, I love you people. I love your generation. You care about things that, that, that you, you want to change the world. And I love that about you. But sometimes the rest of us have to explain things to you because you just haven't experienced it because the world has changed so fast. And so let me tell you about something. When I was younger and we wanted to go on a trip, like a multi-state trip, we would take out this thing called the Rand McNally map, the Rand McNally Atlas. Are you with me, the rest of you? Remember this thing? And do you remember what we did? We, we found where we were and we figured out where we wanted to go and then we took what? A highlighter, yes! And we mapped out where we were gonna go and we said, hey, on the, we're gonna stop there in that city for overnight and then we're gonna eat in that city and then we can make it there and we'll do a pit stop and there's a way. And that's how we did it, young people. We mapped out the whole thing before we even got in the car. And we're so glad that we don't have to do that anymore. Because now we have Siri, right? We've got Siri, where I just punch in, this is where I wanna go, and Siri's like, okay, here's how you get there. In fact, we've got a bunch of, we got Waze. Do you guys, anybody use Waze? Yes, I love Waze. They've got the, like the, the celebrity voices that you can use. Has anybody ever used Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal? He's like, be careful, there's a shaq up ahead, right? <laughs> it's crazy. No, look it up, that's what he says. But I use Siri. And here's what's so crazy about Siri. You punch it in, and Siri doesn't give you this, Siri just goes to the blue line. You know the blue line? All Siri tells you is what the next turn is. And, and, and you look at that and you just go, well, I'm just going to trust Siri. Siri knows best. I mean, I don't know. I've got a long way to go. There's probably a lot of danger along the way. How am I going to get food? Oh, you know what? If I need food along the way, I'll just punch it in. Siri, I'm hungry. And Siri will be like, well, take a left turn here. I'll get you some food. I need some gas, Siri. And we just go step by step by step with Siri. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Some of us trust Siri more than we trust God. Because with God, what we'll say is, okay, I understand you want me to go to a small group. But what I'd like to know, God, is exactly how going to a small group will help me, help me with my marriage, help me with my finances, help me with my life, help me understand the Bible better. I would like all of that to be mapped out for me. And then I will sit back, Lord, and I will decide whether or not I like your plan or not. Right? Or, 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 or God will say, you know what, here's what I need you to do. You've got some issues, and what I would like you to do with those issues is I would like you to find some trusted friend, and I would like you to confess those issues so that we can get them out. You know, we're only as sick as our secrets. That's what our recovery community tells us. We're only as sick as our secrets. And so I'm going to take that secret and I'm going to give it to a pastor. I'm going to give it to a counselor. I'm going to give it to somebody. And I'm going to trust that after that first step, God, that you're going to show me the second step and third step and fourth step. And sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we say, God, I want to know exactly how this is going to play out before I take the first step. You know what I'm talking about. I believe if you want to see amazing things happen in your life, you put God first. And then you take the next step, whether he shows you step number two or step number three, you just obey him. I heard somebody say that Christianity is a long obedience in the same direction. 
I like that. Truett Cathy, who um, started Chick-fil-A and grew Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy would disciple young men from time to time. There was a man that came into his office, uh, Truett, writes that he realized he needed a car and he needed discipling. And so what Truett did was he took um, some uh, Charles Stanley in-touch connect or, or some cassette tapes. Millennials, you remember a cassette tape is where they, okay, you get it. He took cassette tapes of Charles Stanley, but what he did was on the last tape, he recorded himself over the tape and he said, now that you're at the end of this series, the keys to your new car are in my office. Come on in and you can have it. And he gave those tapes to the young man. The young man went away and the next day, Truett Cathy said, did, did you listen to the tapes? Not yet. Haven't had a chance yet. Not yet. Next week. Have you listened to the tapes yet? Not yet. Haven't listened to them yet. And it goes on and on and on. And finally, he just invites the young man to his office and he says, get out the last tape. And he takes it and he plays it for the young man. The man hears it and he just goes. <sighs> and Truett was really tempted to just go ahead and give him the car. But he decided that what would be even more valuable for him to understand is that sometimes before God gives you the miracle, he asks you to move. But sometimes before the miracle becomes, is the movement. Sometimes the obedience comes before the blessing. Does that make sense? And there have been times in my life where I feel as though I, I'm shaking my fists almost as I pray to God, God, why won't you do this amazing thing in my life? And I just wonder sometimes if God is not up on the edge of his throne going, I would love to, I'm just waiting on you. Dave. the next thing that God is calling you to do so you put God first take step one even if you don't know step number two and then verse 17 says the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground and those of us who have been reading exodus and understand the the bible story we go wait i've heard of a miracle just like this splitting of the red sea the parting of the red sea and they walk through on dry ground and i look at that and i think to myself i think what god is saying is if you'll just do some of the things that they did before i'll do some of the things that i did before and I look in the New Testament. Have you ever looked at the New Testament and seen like a miracle happening over here and like people are getting together with glad and sincere hearts and eating and there's community and everybody's needs are getting met and you're just like, why doesn't God do that anymore? And I just wonder if God is looking at us and going, I would love to do the things I used to do. You do the things they used to do. Because what they used to do is they used to be generous with everything they had. They used to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. They used to be people that were constantly together and serving one another and praying together and devoted. And that doesn't make me discouraged. That makes me encouraged because I realize if I will do the things that they did, I believe God will do the things that he did. And that's fun to think about. And said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. Okay. According to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones 
are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, and the Lord that the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. They carried them and they put them down. Number three, remember the amazing things God has already done in your midst. What's God doing there? He's saying, I want you to take up a rock, a stone, I want you to put it down, make a memorial, and then it will remind your kids for decades what I did among you, the amazing things that I did. We talked about that last week. If I want my courage to grow, I can look in the rearview mirror of my life and see the ways that God has already moved. I can look in the rearview mirror of your lives. I can get in a group with you and say, tell me your story. Tell me what God has done. And you encourage me with the way God has worked in your life. Or I can look in scripture and I can say, look at all the ways that God worked in their life. And it builds my courage. What I want to say is, what must it have been like to be one of the 12 that had to pick a stone? Like, I'm just entering into a little bit of imagination here, but if Joshua says, hey, you, Susie, you, Bob, whoever you are, I want you to go and I want you to pick a stone and I want you to know that your stone will be used in a memorial. That for decades to come, the kids are gonna say, hey, what happened here? Why are these stones here? And so I'm imagining that if I'm Bob and I'm walking through the, the, the water and I'm looking for stones, I'm thinking, I wanna find a stone that sort of really represents my experience in the wilderness. And so I might pick a stone like this one, igneous rock that's been through the fire. And years later when the kids go, why did you pick this stone? I might go, well, here's the deal. Like not only did we see fire of, uh, pillar of fire by night, but I mean it just felt sometimes like the darkest days of our entire lives. There were days that we weren't sure if we were going to get through it. Or, or I wonder if you would pick a stone like this one that has rough edges. And you might say the truth is, there were days in the wilderness that we got really, you talk about rough edges with people. I mean, we started complaining. We started grumbling. We lost faith from time to time. We started infighting. There were times where we called out Moses and said, I want a new leader. Like, we got rough edges because, you know what, our relationships got rocky. And see, I'm starting to think to myself, I wonder what kind of stones you and I would pick. I wonder if when our kids come to us and we say, tell us about the faithfulness of God. I mean, is he really somebody that we can trust? And I might pick up a rocky stone and I'd say, you know what? There were times when marriages got rocky around here. Relationships became tough, but you know what? God brought us through the wilderness. Somebody else in this room might pick up a a rock that looks like this. That's fool's gold, by the way. Fool's gold where people would pick it up and think they were rich. And they thought all their troubles were taken care of and then they took it into the person that showed the real value of that rock and they said it's worthless. And there are those of you in this room who would say, you know what, I have have chased after money, I have chased after accomplishments, I have chased after things in my life only to find out that that was really wilderness and that the true, true source of meaning and joy and love and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is Jesus. And so I take that rock to remind myself and to remind you. 
Some of you might show the kids this rock. Fragmented, broken rock. Because you would say, hey, in the wilderness, I had an addiction that honestly broke my life. Like it destroyed areas of my life. I thought I could control it, but the truth is I couldn't. And if it weren't for Jesus in my life, putting my life back together, I don't know what I would have done. The wilderness was back there. I'm so glad we're beyond it. Some of you would look at a rock like that and you would say, you know what? There's pieces missing because I've experienced loss. Kids, I want you to know that I have lost things. And God in the wilderness, he met me there. And he never left me alone. And some of you might put a rock up like this and say the truth is that I had some rough edges. There were things in my life that really needed to be knocked off in the wilderness and praise God that he's helped me grow from there to here. That I used to have rough edges but now things are actually going pretty smoothly. And praise Jesus for that. See, I think Jesus knew how fragile our memory is. <laughs> when you look through the Old Testament, they're constantly asking us to, uh, to, to, to build, some, build a stone, put stones down, build an altar. Remember, 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 remember. And then Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he gets together with his friends. And, and he takes some bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he takes a cup and he says, this is my blood pour it out for you. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. That's why um, we're not going to do it today, but it's about every six weeks or so, we try to take communion. Because Jesus said, every time you do this, remember me. He knew how much we needed to remember. He gave them a picture of him on the cross that very next day. He would go to the cross, his body broken, his blood pouring out. His hands stretched wide as almost as if to say, I love you this much. He came down off that cross and went into a borrowed grave. Three days later, he rose again. And he rose again because he was fully God and fully man. And he'd lived a sinless life. And so he overcame sin and he overcame death. And then he has the ability to reach out to you even through 2,000 years of history, and to say, if you'll come and follow me and put your faith in me, then your sins can be forgiven and you can live with God forever. That's the gospel. That is the good news. And I never get tired of that story. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to remember that good news. May it inspire hope and change. May God do amazing things in your life. If you've never said yes to Jesus, then I invite you to do so. After the service, just come down, talk to us. Uh, Maybe somebody that brought you and said, how do I make that decision? How do I follow Jesus? We'll help you say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe for you, your next step with God is to take out a journal and begin to remember some of the things that he's done in your life, the amazing things. Maybe for you, it's just to, to love your neighbor. I think Jesus taught us the importance of doing that. Maybe for you, it's to extend forgiveness to someone or to accept the forgiveness of someone else and reconcile a relationship because that's so important to God that his kids would love each other. Maybe your next step 
is to love a neighbor in a way that would say, you know what, you need to come. You need to hear what's going on here. There's God's moving. God's doing something in this place. There's, there's a stirring of God's Holy Spirit in this place, and you need to come and be a part of this. Maybe for you, it's just to invite a friend next week. Maybe for you, your next step is some way to put God first in your life. Hey, whatever your next step is, let's take it together as a family.